You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach. For some reason, I have been on a baking frenzy. So far this week, and the week isn't over, I have baked an apricot pie, a blueberry loaf, I guess, pound cake sort of thing, 12 blueberry muffins, and a brown butter pound cake. What is going on? I never baked until the pandemic. It is not a fun thing or relaxing thing for me to do. It is actually quite stressful, like learning a new language, which baking is. It's a new language of of tablespoons versus grams uh, of baking soda versus baking powder and corn, not corn syrup. I use cornstarch. I have a cabinet of things I don't even know that I'm now using. I've gone through bags and sacks of flour. I've gone through sacks of sugar and I'm not even a dessert eater. So I've been asking myself in between times of baking, why are you doing this? And I think it's because I'm starting to get that kind of early depression feeling like, uh uh-oh, food is going to be hard to get. Bread will be hard to access soon. Uh, You know, the world seems to be falling apart. So I'm trying to be as competent in my little space as I can be. Does that make sense? I am not yet churning my own butter. I am not yet, I don't know, sewing my own clothes. I'm not yet knitting my own sweaters. In fact, there's a scarf, a simple scarf I've been knitting for three years. I might I might finish it this year. But I am trying to become more competent in the domestic arts, I guess, in case things get even more stressed and it becomes harder to procure things that we need. Interesting, right? Or maybe not. The one thing that is very challenging, of course, is when you bake stuff, you want to eat stuff. And like my friend Shelly, who is a very fluent and successful baker, she basically is an altruist and she bakes for others because if you eat it all, that's not good either. Now, I happen to have two very generous people who would, if they could, give you the shirts off their back and would bake for you and not for themselves. And those two guests are Jamie Lee Curtis, the actress and writer, and Boko Haft, the writer. And this is their first interview together. You know Jamie Lee Curtis who was famous from the moment she was born to two very famous actors, Janet Lee and Tony Curtis. Her picture was in Life magazine. She's never had a year when she wasn't famous, I think. Uh, she's been in a million movies like the Halloween movies and A Fish Called Wanda, Trading Places, True Lies, Freaky Friday, and most recently Knives Out. She's written a dozen children's books, which are quite beloved. She's a talented photographer. She's talented at a lot of things. And this week, she launched her first uh, website, which is called My Hand in Yours. You can find it at myhandinyours.com, and I'll put a link to it on my website. And it is a philanthropic website in which she curates and makes objects of comfort during this difficult time. 100% of all the profits go to the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, a hospital with which she has been very involved for a long time. My other guest, writer Boko Haft, who happens to be one of my exhibits, lives in Los Angeles, 
before now, she was the manager of the JV basketball team in ninth grade. She was her high school yearbook editor-in-chief. She ran ComFest at Skidmore College, which is a a national collegiate-wide comedy festival for sketch comedians and improv comedians. And she moved to Los Angeles to become a comedy writer. Why are they both here? They have collaborated on a fantastic new podcast available now from audible.com. It's called Letters from Camp, and it originated in an actual letter that my daughter Boko wrote to her godmother, Jamie, about 13 years ago. They will tell you all about it, and I can't wait. But first, here are my five things. Number one. The Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health Center for Public Safety COVID-19 newsletter. It's a mouthful. I also have the link to that on my website. This Johns Hopkins letter gives you a very scientific, very precise, all data kind of fact about the spread of the coronavirus all across the world. It's not political. It's just Facts. The disease has been contained here. It's reemerging there. This is how many people have been hospitalized. This is how many people have died. The good news is you can digest it if you if you want it. I mean, a lot of people don't want to know this stuff, but if you do, it does sort of give you a sense of control. We can't control the disease, but it gives you a sense of, okay, I know where it is. And, you know, you're probably not going to be doing a lot of traveling. So it it just reinforces that. The other thing is, though, that as I read it yesterday, the coronavirus is surging back in places that had control over it. Now, it doesn't mean the same people are getting it again, but it, it just gives you things to be on the lookout for. Okay. Number two, a fresh plum. This is weird, but every time I bite into a plum, I'm surprised by the taste because some plums are very sweet. Some are a little tart. Some start sweet and end tart. Some go the other way around. It's always exciting for me to eat a plum. And when you are looking for things to appreciate, sometimes it just takes a pretty purple piece of fruit. And I want to tell you, plums don't get enough credit. Number three, speaking of not enough credit, I want to say that marigolds give me pleasure. And I saw them this week and it made me smile. I had never appreciated the marigold, which used to grow in my grandparents' backyard because they didn't smell good. But then a number of years ago, I went to Thailand and the marigold is like the hardworking buttress of bouquets and garlands and all kinds of beautiful, elaborate, and imaginative ways that they arrange flowers. And now I'm just in love with a marigold. I mean, it still doesn't smell great, but it smells fresh and it smells of the earth. And it's got that sassy orange color that I like. Number four, receiving packages. Okay. It's not very profound. It's not very deep, but I do like getting packages. Now, at some point, I have ordered so many things online during this uh, the last four months that by the time they arrive, especially if they 
were things I ordered from dodgy websites. I don't even expect them anymore. So, oh my gosh, I got this egg poacher. Woo, what a treat. I got a wooden spoon from William Sonoma. Wow. And especially because it was put in a box so much bigger than itself, it seemed like I was getting a big present, like maybe, I don't know, like a big boogie board or something. Anyway, occasionally it's something I didn't order and somebody else ordered. So it's really a thrill and it's like getting a present. Number five, Dr. Anthony Fauci. You know, I worry about him. I actually do. I appreciate him so much that I, I worry about him. I worry that he's not getting enough sleep. I worry that he's very stressed out. I'm worried that Dr. Bricks isn't nice to him. I think we're overtaxing him. He's 79 years old. I like you, Dr. Fauci. I really do. Coming up, Jamie Lee Curtis and Boko Haft. I am beyond thrilled to welcome my two guests today. You know who they are because I just introduced them earlier. I haven't put my eyes on my friend Jamie Lee Curtis in so many months. I mean, I see your picture on Instagram every day, but it's so good to look at you and talk to you. Hello. Hi there. I love you. Love you. And there in the corner is my beautiful daughter, Exhibit B, now forevermore known as Boko Half, the comedy writer (gasps) from Family Guy. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Boko. Hi, long-time listener, second-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> She's the comedy writer you, here. There's, yeah. by the way, a very good title for a book. Yes. Long-time listener, second-time caller. Second-time caller. Well, you both are my first repeat guests, actually. Ooh. So that is kind of a big deal. And the reason you're here, of course, is because you have produced a fantastic new series for Audible, which, as I've been telling my family members, means they cannot watch it. They can listen to it. Yes. Uh, by and, the way, Audible would like me to remind you that it's TV for your ears. Well, you know what? It is. And this TV for your ears is called Letters from Camp. And Letters from Camp is a delightful way to relive your old camp days as well as to um, entertain your children for some hours this summer if they have nothing to do. But beyond that, it has the most incredible genesis of any entertainment product that I know of. So who wants to start with that? Boko, do you want to start? Sure. I came back to New York in October of last year and was coerced, I think is the right word, into going through old boxes in the efforts of sort of decluttering my space. And while we were in there, we found probably 15 letters from that I wrote when I was a camper at Sleepaway Camp that I had never mailed out. And some were to uh, you and uh, my brother, my sister, my father, begging for uh, candy or a ride home. Um, And one was addressed to Jamie that had never been mailed, never opened. Um, It was a sealed envelope. And without 
uh, asking me, you, Lisa, put a stamp on it and sent it right in the mail. Which That's not exactly at all the story. Oh, interesting. That's part of the story. <laughs> I said, let's open it. And you said no. I remember it a little differently. I, uh, oh. Uh, this is like Rashomon, but it's sort it of, is. it's a therapy session and a podcast and a, it's, it's and a, a it's, breath mint. Yeah. And a breath mint. I uh, recall saying, I really am concerned about it because I had seen the other letters that I had sent uh, again, begging for candy. And I was nervous that the letter was going to say something like, can you send me Twix? What does Chad Michael Murray smell like? Like there was no way of knowing. <laughs> what the letter was going to be. And Can I read the letter? Yes. So sure. I received so I received the letter in an envelope from Lisa and I know her handwriting. So I immediately opened the envelope from Lisa and inside was a sealed envelope with Jamie written in curlicue 12-year-old's, you know, handwriting. And I opened the letter and the thing that delighted me more than anything is that the stationery was a Lacoste uh, stationery. <laughs> it was a, a little alligator, crocodile, whatever, on the top. And it said, Jamie, I feel so stupid. The director of the camp, Nancy, told me to focus on making friends in my bunk because I didn't have any. So, of course, I do the stupid adolescent thing and hang out with the girls in my bunk while they skip an evening activity. It was a big deal. We got caught and now we're in trouble. I now have no idea why I did it, and I'm really sad. It was obviously the wrong thing to do, and I don't want to feel so bad. Well, too late. I not only sit now at the director's table, well, I sit at the director's table, that's bad enough, and they give me enough attention already for having Lisa Burnback as my mother, and for all the phone calls I get. And worst of all, when I was talking to my counselor, she wasn't mad, but my acting teacher, Shannon, who I'm always trying to impress, and want her to think highly of me. She told me how disappointed in me she was, and it broke my heart. I need your insight, love, Boko. P.S. I would kill to be at Camp Curtis right now, where the motto is, quote, be our guest. That's my dog barking at something, by the way. Uh, the quote, the motto is, quote, be our guest, copyright to JLC. So that was the letter I received from Boko in December, I believe, of last year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um and really, the so we can get to the show, I, I immediately called Boko, who, as some of your listeners know, is a comedy writer. And I said, "There's this is incredible. To be able to receive something from your 12-year-old self when you're now 26 is fantastic. And we need to develop this. We need to figure this out. Is it a TV show? Blah, blah, blah. And we were kind of going down the TV show route. And we had pitched up something and I went into my agents to pitch it up one early morning. I was really excited about it. And by the time I got home, I had had a message, not from my agent, but from the podcast agents saying that they had heard about this and think it was a fabulous idea for a scripted podcast. This was now, this was sort of December. This is now January. And so we ended up making a deal with Audible. And Boko started TV writing, for your ears. TV for your ears. Um, and Boko started writing it really in May mm -hmm. in earnest. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had worked it out, but the writing actually started in May. We are August. What date are we, Lisa? August 7th. We're August 7th. It's been a <laughs> fabulous first week of August, by the way. Yes. Right? It's, it's just a nice day. Just yeah. been a lovely day. And 
you know, we started, Boko started writing this May 10th. Yeah, 10th. And the show is on the air, or uh, it actually debuted August 4th. August 4th. So that's an extraordinary amount of time, all done within the bonds and limits of COVID. All of the recording was done remotely, and the music, which uh, exhibit, which exhibit is he? A. Exhibit A did the original music for the show, as well as one of the very funny voices on the show. And so it's all been done basically in about two and a half months. It's unbelievable. My boss is tenacious and she works very, very hard to get us to work very quickly. And that encouragement, I think, pushed us, everybody on the team to, uh, everybody was so excited that uh, we all worked really, really fast. You know, as, as Chip Kid and I used to say when we wrote True Prep, Deadlines are our friends. I mean, you were you were sick as a dog during some of it, Boko, and you still wrote. You still did it. Yeah. Uh, you should be very proud think, of yourself. As I said to Jamie earlier today, it felt like that ended up being sort of the best medicine for being sick. And it was as lame an illness as you could possibly have in being mono at 26. So um, I think it ended up being something sort of terrific to get me out of bed and to uh, be something to work through. And um, absolutely. Yeah, so how much of this? So first of all, Jamie, you are the camp director. In many ways. In so <laughs> many ways. In many ways. I think just in almost every possible way. Yeah. I'm well, everyone's camp director. Well, we used to, in the old days of terrestrial radio, we used to have a segment with you called The Boss of Me. Yes. And you were the boss of me and my camp director. So you played Sue, the director of the camp. Well, who- when when Boko, uh, when we first were breaking the story, I, you know, obviously it's my company. I've formed this wonderful new company with Blumhouse and I've now started something called Comet Pictures. And so I had said to Boko, you know, obviously if you need me in the show, of course, I'll do whatever you need. But we hadn't really talked about what it was or how much it would be in it. And then, of course, the camp director ended up being in the show quite a bit, which is was really, really fun for me. I was inspired. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. But also, could you explain how you put like these two foam playtime mats in your closet and sat in your closet in Idaho? I mean, it's so, but you all had to improvise on this short deadline. Yes. So Boko wrote a very funny eight episode show. And uh, we got very lucky with casting and everyone who participated in the show, both people who were brand new, our star, Sonny Sandler, as well as, you know, seasoned professionals like Edie Patterson and Jake Gyllenhaal and Kirby Powell-Baptiste. Everyone recorded remotely. And, you know, Lisa, we're all here in a Zoom looking at each other as we're talking on your podcast. But you're in your house, you're in a room with some sort of fabric on behind you. I don't know what that is. What is that? It's a library. Oh, that's a, I don't know. That's a piece of schmata that Michael put up. It's a sound thing. Whatever the schmata is. So we are all shape-shifting and trying to record in our own spaces. I happen to have been in a log cabin in Idaho and log actually is a terrible sound. It makes a sound bounce. It's not good. And so I had to take a corner where a desk is and I took every outdoor uh, cushion I had, pillows, I put an umbrella up and then put quilts over the umbrella, cushions all up inside it. And then, 
use these two big foam outdoor cushions as sort of sound baffling. I became mm-hmm. quite adept at the uh, sound baffling to be able to record director Sue. Yeah, and you, uh, yeah, I saw a picture of your setup and it looked uh, very jerry rigged, but very quiet. Um, Boko, did you get to talk to Sonny Sandler to convey the essence of Mookie, the little girl she portrayed? No, I didn't. But she worked with an acting coach and it was very clear very early on from her first takes that she really clicked and connected with the role and uh, with who Mookie is. So it actually felt like I didn't have to. And beyond that, There's one thing when you're writing it, and I picture it in my head, in my now 27-year-old head, um, of what it sounds like, but something entirely different when an 11-year-old starts speaking and doing the part, and it brings a nuance I didn't really expect at all. So in some ways, the less contact we had, the better, because she brought something that I never could have brought to it. She brought innocence to it that I... I am too jaded to have. I will say one thing, Lisa, something that Boko and I share and the character of Mookie shares, which is Mookie is the daughter of a very famous journalist. Now, uh, Boko and I both know what that feels like to walk in the shadow of your mother. And my mother was a famous actress. Your mother was a famous writer, uh, Boko. I'm saying mm-hmm, you're pointing mm-hmm, at you. Mm-hmm. I've heard that. I've heard that. As if the audience (laughs) really knows that I'm pointing at you. But my point is that Mookie is the daughter of a very famous investigative reporter who everyone knows and is beloved. So it's followed her to camp and she is kind of an odd girl anyway. And she wants to establish herself. And so her idea is to go to camp. And she's going to become an investigative journalist and uncover some big secret at camp that there's a mystery about old 30-year-old missing girl, and she is going to become like her mother. And so it's a bit of the sort of B story is Mookie developing Mookie on her own without having to be in the shadow of her mother. And so there's it's a lovely little bit of connect the dot here with you, Boko, and your mom, me and my mom. And, um, you know, it's it's written from a point of view of only someone who really can understand how that feels. That's a that's a very good point. The other thing is that it's really about saying misfit is unfair and unfortunate, but it's the girl who's the odd girl out, right? Yes. And that's something that you and I have in common. I I felt that way when I went to camp. I mean, I resent that. I've always been cool. Um, You, yeah, (laughs) no way. I think the truth is. She is an odd girl out and she feels it, but I think every single person can relate to the feeling of, I just don't fit in. And even the person that you think is the coolest and the most together and is wearing the cutest clothes, they also have that feeling. And I think this taps in to, at points, every character that we interact with sort of sheds a light on what their outsiderness is to Mookie. Uh And- And when you are writing as an 11-year-old, she is unreliable, not because she's trying to mislead the audience, but because she's 11 and she lacks a worldliness. For Mookie to see what 
other outsiders look like sort of makes her grow in her own way. Let's um, play a clip. Oh, from, I think we should. Okay. Let's play a clip and we'll give uh, the audience a sense of who Mookie is and who director Sue is. So here it is. Hold on. Could you repeat that? I said it's the swim test today. No. Thank you for your enthusiasm, Mookie. Sorry, where are my manners? I just meant no thank you. I don't like swimming. I'm more of a land mammal. Everyone has to pass the swim test at Camp Cartwright. It's the only way you'll be allowed to participate in activities in the lake. What if I never, ever want to get in the lake? Oh, very funny, Mookie. The lake is our most precious resource at Camp Cartwright. Well, that and the golf carts. Those were a fortune. I will see you girls at breakfast. Have there ever been five words uttered in history worse than it's the swim test today? Maybe we put your dog down or Saturn Island is a burrow. Perhaps go bra shopping with grandma. But I have been bra shopping with my grandma and I would do that 10 times with the measurements than go swimming. It's so funny. And you have, have you ever gone bra shopping with grandma? I have actually gone bra shopping with your mother. Thank you for asking at uh, Intimacy on Madison Avenue. It was traumatizing and I would do it. I would do it again and again. You know, what I love about it is that you do turn something that is very much about pre-adolescence into something universal. And I'm thinking, too, about going to camp when you haven't gotten your period yet or you're in the age where some have and some haven't. And it's such a dividing line between kids who are artificially smushed together in a little cabin, which is probably illegal if it were in a city somewhere, to live that close together, right? Absolutely. I think uh, camp becomes sort of this funny microcosm of the world because you're all there. You're all in different phases. The kids who've been bat mitzvahed and the kids who haven't. those who've grown uh, breasts and those who haven't yet. I mean, it, it, uh, there's so many ways to compare. And for me, at, at least in grade school, you're all sort of in the same environment. And you go to camp and that's where you really learn. And that's where you kind of find out what's what. Uh, I feel like I learned all about kissing at camp and I learned all about uh, the opposite sex. And I learned about uh, sneaking away and drinking and kind of the illicit things that you, I mean, as an older camper, but you learn it from being unsupervised. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing about camp that also I think is you get to reinvent yourself. Absolutely. Like you, you're going to camp. Yes. Maybe you've known a few people a few years, but it's not like your school. It's not like going to a new school. You're going to camp where all of a sudden you're having these opportunities to do things you might not do and try things and try on sort of a, a feeling about yourself that you kind of might carry on beyond camp. And I just think there's a, that beautiful innocence. And we specifically set the camp in 2005 because we wanted to avoid the poison of social media. And oh, we excellent. wanted to avoid this obsession that young people have, even though they outlaw social media at camps. Kids, Mm -hmm. you know, kids are like sneaking away, figuring out a way to get online. So there's something really innocent still 
2005. And, and that's I true. That's really true. In 2005, we weren't led by the nose by our phones. Also, the thing about camp is that it's eight weeks at the most. In the olden days, it was eight weeks. Now it's four weeks. You can go to specialty camp for two weeks or one week. But that time, whether it's a month or, or, or more, it feels like a whole universe. Absolutely. Your life changes in that short period of time. Is it because you all live together? Is it because the camp is well run? Is it because the camp is badly run? You know, they're, the camps that you went to, Boko, I know were very strict. What about you, Jamie? You went to camp, right? I did. I went to a kind of a, a, a camp called Gold Arrow Camp. It was in the high Sierras. Um, and you took a long bus ride up into the mountains. And, um, you know, there was a lake. And it was the classic pine trees and bunks and cabins and sleeping bags and trunks. And I loved all of it. I loved, you know, I'm a, uh, thank you both. No, I might have a slight bit of OCD. And I am, I am someone who likes to organize things. I'm a very organized person and camp for an organized person is like an aphrodisiac because your entire life is in a trunk and you have to keep it neat and they check them and you inspection look, and you learn day. how to roll your, your clothes. And I, the little soap box that you put your soap, like soap, like I never even think I took it out, but I loved the little box that came in in your toothbrush holder. I like all of that was so delightful to me and arts and crafts so delightful. We would me. not have been friends at camp. <laughs> we would not no, have been friends at camp. I don't think so. I understand. <laughs> I understand because I also have a daughter and she went to camp. And by the way, I sent my daughter to Gold Arrow Camp and she hated it so much <laughs> because it was so rigid. You know, the acorns go water sports, eight o'clock, arts and crafts, nine thirty. Like right. she hated it. Whereas I loved the organization of it. I loved looking up on the board and knowing what time I was doing things, where I was going. I loved it. She hated it so much that she vowed never to go to camp again. She was, you know, she'd gone for first camper like two weeks or three weeks. So I found Bucks Rock Camp, which is basically a fabulous performing arts and visual arts camp in New Milford, Connecticut. But it's like Woodstock camp. Right. It's like right. th there, there are rules and you, there are do's and don'ts, but they do not tell you where to go. They do not tell you what to do. You have to get out of your bed. You have to eat and you are free to explore glass blowing or arts and crafts or performing arts or musical thing or radio or she loved it. She went there many, many years. And of course, my parents wouldn't let me go to Bucks Rock, which was a place that I had wanted to go. You know, what's funny to me about the whole camp thing is you love the organization. You love the little soap dish. Love you it. love packing. For me as a parent, when my kids went to sleepaway camp, that trunk was open and I was sweating the details for months I mean, it was the hardest thing for me to do as a mother those years. And you oh. only probably got back 30% of the things that you packed. Thank God, because I'm sure they were 
you know, not not worth returning. Yeah. Oh, and the name tapes. Mm -hmm. Did you sew on name tapes, Jamie? Or did you write? I loved it all. I just. Oh, man. At its core, besides the activities that you do at camp, it just, there was a freedom to to just have a, a new experience and like a new point of view. And I loved it. I miss it. I wish there was camp. And then I went to tennis camp. So tennis camp mm-hmm. is, and by the way, I went to a tennis camp where, wait for it, required to be learned by everybody, man, woman, child, boy, girl, contract bridge. What? I went to John Gardner's tennis ranch <gasps> in oh, Carmel and the Gardner family felt that young people should learn contract bridge. And the boys and the girls, we all had to learn how to play contract bridge. And I can play contract bridge, but I always want to be the dummy. Nobody else wants to be the dummy. I want to be the dummy because I don't, I don't want to have to play the hands. Contract bridge. That's the game of bridge, but it's it's bridge, it's, but it's con- it's where four people play. Two people face each other. They're right. a team. The other a team. Yeah, and it's you can't say what you have, and so you have to make these bids, and then you make a contract, and then you try to play the hand and see if you make your contract. Contract oh my God. bridge. Did- did they try to teach you actuarial tables too? Was that no, a rule? It was. It was surprising. It was really. Really good backhands um, and contract bridge. Yeah, that's going in uh, the next iteration of this. Okay, <laughs> if you good. get a second season, yeah. contract second bridge. Second season, there'll be contract bridge. They'll you offer contract bridge. Yeah. What I love about that, though, is that John Gardner family decided that they should make young people who are competent to live in the suburbs and join a country club. And that is a beautiful thing. Yes. So I loved camp. And as Boko referred to in the letter that she wrote, when I was now an adult um, and I had kinder of my own, I actually put on in my backyard Camp Curtis, which was some sort of like a summer campy. I hired a couple people to be like counselors and Mm -hmm. do some water sports and some playtime. My parents, Tony Curtis and Janet Lee, when married early on, had Camp Curtis at their house. And um, it was much more an adult camp. I think it was alcohol, basically. Alcohol, contract bridge. (laughs) No, Um, but I mean, they had sweatshirts made with two C's. um, And, you know, I think they had tennis and badminton. And, you know, it was a bunch of probably famous people wearing like tennis sweaters uh, with Camp Curtis on it. I do want to talk about your lists, which I have in front of me. And I want to tell you that you intersect. You both have one thing in common. And that is five great things about camp were the songs. You both mentioned songs. Now, um, I think you both learned the same songs at camp as one another, even though you didn't go at exactly I, the same time. I would time. say every camp has the same 15 songs and everyone knows a different verse. Right. Yes. Right. So you had one Boko that used to drive me crazy yes. that never ended. Yes. It oh, wasn't the song, the song that, that never does, ended. Never ended. It, it right. was it's called The Princess Pat. Um Oh, my, that was it. The Princess Pat. It's in episode three, actually, because it is my favorite. And 
My favorite thing about campfire songs, and this might be the same as as Jamie, is they're really um, surprisingly dark. And, oh, way dark. And it's kind of a wild thing. It's like uh, being eight and singing a Spice Girls song and then finding out at 18 that they're extremely sexualized. It's the same thing with the campfire songs of you're kind of just they like are? happily going along and singing and repeating after me and everybody's kind of clapping along and, and enjoying it. And then as a counselor, when I returned, I went like, oh, well, this song's probably about colonization. And, oh, I have another favorite song that's sort of a divorce anthem. And then there's a third one about cannibals. And it takes a while. <laughs> they're dark. Yeah, they're really dark in a yes. kind of fascinating way that we all rally around. Mine was uh, called The Cat Came Back, and it was about, like, old Mr. Johnson. Like, basically, they tried to give the cat away, and they kind of gave it to a man. He threw it off a boat in a bag, and the cat like, was, like, sunk to the bottom, and everybody was fine. And then it goes, but the cat came back the very the next very day. Next and it day. just, it, it, it was dark and kind of, mm-hmm. but it, they had these wonderful way of sort of, they were, long they had like 15 verses to it and they couldn't they got darker and mm-hmm. darker and darker you know they put the cat in a cuisinart and then <laughs> well, the cat came back <laughs> you know what I mean? it just got dark yeah and i got loved dark. it and i it loved it because it was like the first little bit of darkness that i got to sing and you know we would sing them when we get home and our to our parents and be like we're singing a song about people who want to kill a cat and it gave me a little uh you know some power Mm -hmm. i was gonna say agency oh agency that's even better but you know what that's the competitiveness in me lisa as you see i have to trump you with a better word well you did and also those songs you could say to your parents do you have a free hour and a half? Because I'm going to entertain you. <laughs> and I was yes. coming back to school and everybody kind of knew the same song. And you could judge your camp based off of how dark your verses were. Mm-hmm. Is that right? I still really? do that with my roommates. Oh, you think you know the Princess Pat? Uh, what color was her Ricka Bamboo? Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. <laughs> I think I I think you just sent me back twenty years my with that reference. Okay, let's talk about lanyards. I love them. You both, in a way, talk about them because you call them lanyards, Jamie, and Boko called them friendship bracelets. But they're really kind of the same the skill same, set, aren't they? they? Are the same activity. same category. They are the same. It's the yes. same activity. It's the same activity. Um, Lanyards are made with plastic strips that are hard. And so you build them into usually keychains or those wonderful ones that sort of curl a cue around. Yes. Friendship bracelets are actually soft and you give them to each other and you come back from camp with your wrist covered in friendship bracelets. Or if you're me, you're so good at making them that you only make them for yourself because of the labor involved of the process. Well, uh, Boko did so much friendship 
bracelet making for herself that she invented a new level at her camp there were different levels of proficiency and every week students campers would get a certificate bronze silver plunged ahead you've plunged ahead in the world of ashtray making you've plunged ahead in archery Mm -hmm. you've plunged you've reached new heights in water skiing and boco you don't want to brag, I'm sure, but you did reach a new level of bracelet making that they had to call pass gold, plus platinum. It was called the Boca level. Thank you. That is correct. Um, I wow. was also- I, well, by the way, I, I think the Mookie level is going to be in season two. <laughs> yes, the Mookie level. I think level. something's yes. going to happen where the Mookie level will be brought into it. I find that if oh, you are good persistent point. enough with a counselor who in your head is 30, but in reality is 19 years old, that you can really get them to do anything. And in my case, it was a friendship bracelet level and the camp allowing me to take a double period of jewelry so that I didn't have to take soccer. Jewelry. Okay. Um, I do want to just mention that when I went to camp, we did make ashtrays for our parents as if every parent needed more ashtrays. Well, they all smoked. We never, I mean, they all was, did It was smoke, a very but, smoky time. Yeah, I bet they make uh, clay vape pods now. Nice. Oh, <laughs> make a nice vape pod for your parents. Sure, sure. If they don't yet, they will soon. Um, let's just talk about the friends you make at camp because I um, never got to really know your camp friends, Boko, but I heard a lot about them, but I'd meet them every now and then, as you said, at a bat mitzvah or something. Or at the bus to camp. Right, in the bus to camp. And the kids from New York were familiar to me, even if I didn't know them. But you spend a lot of time with kids from the suburbs who have a different way of life completely. And for me, from the city to camp, the suburban kids were so much more in the know. They were so much more mm. sophisticated because they had basements and they had time and privacy and space away from their parents. Whereas people in apartments, and we're feeling this now, of course, in COVID, are so compressed and close to one another, there is very little in the way of privacy. Yes, I think uh, that's correct. You did not know a lot of my camp friends. And there's something kind of nice about that. One of my favorite things about camp is no parents. And I do think Mm -hmm. that is hugely important. I think you kind Mm -hmm. of can't become yourself when you still want to be a perfect daughter or son. And it was at camp actually where uh, I saw exhibit A and C kind of come into their own because they were away. And it felt sort of like this privilege that I happened to be there, so I got to watch it. But I don't think any of us knew that Exhibit A was a performer. And then I saw him perform a song in the Camp Talent Show. I didn't know he could sing. I didn't know. Right. I don't know that I knew that he spoke that much. So (laughs) so to experience that, that is fully a a factor of not having parents there and not having your your teachers and, and people watch you. And it's as Jamie said, you recreate yourself. So in some ways, I like to keep my camp friends only for camp. And I did not necessarily see Mm -hmm. them during the Mm -hmm. school year because it is a different version of yourself. It's a freer version of yourself. And And you'd have to... You'd maybe instant message a little bit. But the BOCO that I got to be at camp, even the BOCO I got to be as a camp counselor, felt very different. 
and felt free in a different way than Boko at school, who was bogged down by family events, current events, politics, whatever, school, grades, that did not exist at camp. And you mm-hmm. bond so much faster because you know the day you get there, you're, you, there's an expiration date. There's a timeline. You know the day you get there, I only have 30 to 60 days before this all ends. So I'm going to share my most intimate secrets, my, my questions about growing up, my fears and my hopes, and maybe be a little different. Maybe I, I have a little camp personality. Maybe I have a catchphrase. And they only know me <laughs> uh, like that. I like I was really big on finger guns. Um, just something. Oh, God. <laughs> I think there's a, is the picture of you we're using. Are, are you using, like finger using finger guns? Um, what picture from me at camp? You know, there is, are you using it in the promotion of the show? Likely. I mean, the, it's actually your your uh, oh, thumbs yeah, up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up, gal. Oh uh, yeah, with all those friendship, with all the bumpo level jewelry of my creation. So those camp friends, I kind of wanted to keep sacred. And in some ways, you can lose a camp friend if they don't feel the same way. If they want to be year round friends, and you kind of like, I, I just felt that my best version was maybe my free camp self and not my home self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you're so right. Plus, you're not watching the news. You don't have your parents yelling at one another. You don't have no. You don't have anything to focus on but yourself, and that's a really great no, the gift only stress, that camp there gives are you. No stressors, and that feels really freeing. And it feels it, it doesn't feel like real life. It just feels like something entirely different. And uh, I do think it allows you to be a new version of yourself. Okay, number four. Boko, you said color war. I thought you hated color war. I hated color war as a camper. I adored color war as a counselor where I got to participate. Uh, They always have a really great theme. And when I participated and was part of an entrenched camp secret of how the skit comes to be, it opened my eyes at the pure effort that they put in to make children have a memorable summer. Like uh, we probably practiced for our color war break which at my camp was called the Olympics for three and a half weeks in secrecy before unleashing it to the camp. And the kids go, well, I felt like Beyonce when we were kind of revealed in our characters. It, it, I've never felt so special. Well, also it's very elaborate. They hire planes and trains Every and camp things. Does its own and- thing, but it is a bonding experience between you and the other campers because the counselors are pretty hands off at when you're, when you're in it. You're being led by the oldest campers and you feel a real bonding and loyalty to the other people in your color. You are still very close to this camp experience. I think you really I've regressed. pulled it I've out regressed. of your... No, <laughs> no, you haven't, but you've pulled it out and you're still close to it. Jamie, this is going to be stupid, but I don't know what bug juice is. Is it punch? Bug juice is basically Gatorade. Not Gatorade. What was it called? Kool-Aid. Yeah, Kool-Aid. 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 It was that red Hawaiian punch concentrate. It's pure sugar and water. It's just pure sugar and water. It's red food coloring, and it tastes vaguely like fruit punch, and it was called bug juice. And that was something that you could drink at camp that your parents would never give you, right? Those big metal corrugated coolers with a spigot. And oh wow! You'd get your cup, and you'd be able to drink bug juice, and it was it was Kool Aid. It was basically Hawaiian punch 
that Hawaiian punch, that comic of, remember the Hawaiian punch that used the to The guy try? with the palm hat, the, with the, the, uh, with the straw hat, with yep. the pineapple and the flip-flops. Um, it was that Hawaiian punch, you know, obviously camp style, but it was red, sweet, sugary, water, delicious. Wow. Cold and cold because they would put those, they would put a bunch of those little squares of ice. Remember the ice? From the yeah. ice machine, it used to be tiny yeah. little squares of ice. Chiclet, chiclets like of chiclet ice. Like chiclet sizes. And they would fill those coolers and then pour the bug juice in. And on a hot day, ah, oh, loved Heaven. it. Of course, now there's no bug juice because there's no sugar. It's now water from the Poland Spring. Is that yes. correct, Boca? Uh, yes, my camp was in Poland Spring. I was quite privileged in that regard. No, we, we would get Gatorade on uh, cookout nights and or bug juice, whatever the kind of equivalent powdered drink was. And that was always a treat because otherwise we were drinking water, which I was not raised to drink. So uh, what I drank orange what? juice at every meal. And that's why you are the way you Thank are, you. which is a beautiful thing. Hey, it's time for me to say you've been listening to Five Things That Make Life Better with Lisa Birnbach. My guests this week have been Jamie Lee Curtis and Boko Haft, co-creators of the new Audible original podcast, Letters from Camp, which you can download at audible.com. The first four episodes are available this week. Yes, they're available right right now. now. Right now. And then and their next four are available on the 18th of July. And you will find out about what happened to the Lady of the Lake and the mystery that Mookie Hooper uncovers. I can't wait. I really cannot wait. You can follow Jamie on Instagram. Oh, at please. Curtis- oh, my God. No? I no? love you. Yes, no, tell them. Keep going. At Curtis Sorry. Jamie Lee and on Twitter at Jamie Lee Curtis. And Actually, Boko. it's Curtis Lee Jamie. Okay. So we got that wrong. <laughs> we'll fix that. And Boko, I'm not letting you follow because she's still my daughter. That's fine. My daughter. Your daughter. If you en- my daughter. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And you will love Letters from Camp. I don't even have to say that part. My blog is at lisabernbach.com, where you'll find links and photos to all the things in this program. This podcast is produced in New York City by thefieldtv.com. My engineer is Kevin Watkins, if only he were here right now. My team is Spressa Rucci, Michael Port. Boko half and Sam Haft. What? What? Until next week, everybody, wear a mask, stay cool, and act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers.